Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. With no new SNL until the fall, we thought it would be fun to review some of Season 43's unaired cut-for-time sketches to see which one was the best of the rest. I'm John Murray, and with me as always is comedy aficionado and Canadian handsome, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. So, Steve, we are doing something new this week. Yes, we are. (laughs) Yeah, it's a first for the cast. We are going to be reviewing all of the officially released season 43 cut for time sketches. Right. Yeah. Quick shout out to listener Ad Weasley, who helped us to patch together the complete list of all the available sketches uh, so that we'd have a rundown for the show. And uh, we did. We tracked them all down. They're all available on YouTube, even though sometimes they tend to disappear for copyrights issues or, you know, other <laughs> shenanigans. Uh, right. We have everything that SNL officially released, and we're going to be providing uh, YouTube links in the show notes. So if anyone hasn't seen these before, maybe it would be a good idea to pause the cast, check our show notes, watch them on YouTube, and then come back. That way you'll know what we're talking about. And maybe the cast will be a little bit more enjoyable. Just a little bit more. Yeah. So with that little PSA out of the way, let's play a little bit of uh, cut it or keep it for season 43's cut for time sketches. Oh, I like the name for this. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, that was a fun way to frame it. So let's jump in. For our first cut for time sketch, we have a pre-tape from the Gal Gadot episode, The Last Fry. Two oblivious friends rap about trivialities during a nuclear missile crisis. (laughs) So, Steve, cut it or keep it. This would have been a a kept sketch for sure. Okay. Man, I thought it was like a perfect 90s rap version of keep calm and carry on, that old phrase. Sure. I thought it was pretty smart. and was a great um, great way to comment about how more and more people are kind of plugging their ears because it's just too difficult to read the news these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there probably is something to it as far as a, a social commentary about kind of wanting to retreat into our happy place. In this case, these two weirdos, it's their, <laughs> uh, their early 90s cheesy parents just don't understand kind of rap yeah. that they devolve into. Uh, there, there might be something about that, about going to your happy place so that you don't have to acknowledge the, the horrors of the outside world. Um, if they were digging that deep, that's, that's cool. What we were left with was fun. I don't think it was remarkable. Right. I think it was a good sketch to keep in the rundown for the live show, but I do kind of understand why if something had to be chopped, this would have been on their short list because it, it was fun. It was good, but it really didn't wow me. I, I felt a bit more wowed, mm-hmm. I guess, than you. I really love the ending when they actually get mad at her for like trying to interrupt their rap. Right. <laughs> and they can't help but like pick it up again when they finally do finish. Yeah, and it's like only one word left of the song that they had yeah. to get through. Uh, yeah, no, it it certainly was well paced, and it did come to a satisfying conclusion. And conceptually, it was good. It is nice to have a, a mashup of a bygone era because then everyone you know around our age can kind of get on board very quickly because we we get the sound of it and the look of it. Right? There's a lot of stuff there to cling to. Right. Uh, I just. I didn't find that there were like super funny moments outside of that concept. So I think that's kind of where I cooled off on it. 
it was fun to kind of jump back and forth from the reality of the panic in the streets to their world where they're, they're rapping about this triviality. Sure. That's all fun. But once you get the joke, there wasn't really anywhere else for it to go. So it was amusing, but just not like stunning. That That's my whole critique on it. Yeah. It was more of a concept than, you yeah, know, exactly. a set of jokes, which is another way of going about comedy. Yeah. And as a Beck and Kyle outing, this is often what they do. They start with a really funny idea and they explore it and you don't always get to the same height uh, with no. different concepts. So as a uh, good neighbory type vehicle, not bad, enjoyable, but it wasn't so obviously brilliant that I feel like it was a shoe in for the show. I feel like it could have gone either way and, and I can kind of understand how this one didn't make the cut if timing got tight. Yeah, no, it, it does make sense to me too. As much as I loved it. Yeah. And you know what? The Beck and Kyle high concept weirdo pre-tapes is going to be a running theme tonight. So I think we're going to get a better picture of kind of how the show has to take these sometimes, you know, when they have to make the tough call on whether they want to go with something a little more artsy where the joke really lies in the concept rather than the quick one-off jokes. You kind of have to see where the show maybe panders to a little bit more simplistic comedy. And maybe that's why we don't see a lot of the Beck and Kyle stuff cutting through as much. Uh, that might be the real lesson that we learned tonight, but let's uh, keep pushing forward and uh, see where we get with all that. Let's do it up. Okay. From the Kumail Nanjiani episode, we get a pre-tape climate change. Blake Volante is going to fix the environment before any other actor. <laughs> Cut it or keep it. Oh, man. I probably would have kept it. Mm -hmm. I really thought it was as stupid as it was. It was kind of <laughs> pretty brilliant in, in mocking these celebrities that do a lot of quote unquote selfless things <laughs> sure. in the name of PR marketing. At least that's what some people are suspicious of when they do these things. Right. So just to take that notion and put it on steroids, it was fun. And Beck played that dude bro actor douche guy mm -hmm. so perfectly yeah i thought this one was pretty good too i i wish this had made it into the the actual show the kumail nanjiani show had a couple good pre-tapes it was the one that had the the melania call center julio torres joint near the end of that episode so this was competing with some good material, but I thought this was pretty strong. This was a good performance from Beck because he really did, like you said, get into that character and find the right pitch <laughs> right. for oblivious, self-centered, but completely unaware of just how douchey he's coming off. There was a lot of fun little back and forth moments mm -hmm. that I thought really made this one special. Kumail Nanjiani, especially trying to bite his lip and not be as insulting to this doofus as he wants to be as the guys, you know, saying like, yeah, the fish are going to drown or whatever. Like as Beck can't keep up, Kumail Nanjiani has to be very patient and try not to roll his eyes. And I thought he did that very well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a lot of amusement with that. Yeah. That really sells it for sure. Yeah. They both found the right pitch for their character. So I thought that that really helped make it stronger. Absolutely. And also you got to give a little bit of credit to how they frame it in the reality TV terms of the, the one guy versus the world. So they have all the amped up music and the fast cutting and other like just smash visuals to try and infuse a little bit of excitement into something that's really very mundane. So all of that was on point. This, this was solid end to end. It was really strong. End to end, yeah. for sure. 
Moving on after climate change, we're going to look at new year's kiss from the Kevin Hart episode. One man frantically traverses the city and the occasional mystical realm to meet up with his crush. <laughs> oh, when you're trying to meet up some friends and they're bar hopping <laughs> rapidly, right? The frustration is real. Sure. And, um, this is a very obvious example of how these good neighbor type sketches just take something we can relate to and take it to a million, you know, like entering a white void. (laughs) It's a great way of just showing how much he's going out of his way for no payoff. Right. 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 Yeah. And it was great. They kept up the interest by, you know, just what he's about to give up. They throw back in. Oh, but she really wants that kiss, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was really great. I can see why it wasn't used. I mean, it didn't have Kevin Hurt. Sure. It was hosting that episode. So to have that over something else would have featured the host less. So mm-hmm. that's probably one of the main reasons we didn't see it. It did have Dave Grohl as the realm troll, you know, the guardian of the <laughs> the the gate or whatever there. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's okay. who that was. Um, I agree with you. I thought this was pretty strong. I do understand why it got cut. This is one where maybe if Dave Grohl wasn't in it, they could have repurposed it for another show. Though, because of the New Year's theme, they kind of had to do it around the Christmas time oh, yeah. run of episodes. Uh, so maybe not. Maybe that's why they decided to actually put it out and not repurpose it for a later show. Uh, one way or another, I, I thought it was pretty strong. Again, the good neighbor stuff, always a fun premise. They start from a really creative and quirky spot. And when they are able to explore it and take it to great heights, it can be really, really engaging. And when he does come out of the manhole into the white void and you have Kyle Mooney on the other end, like describing it as Beck's trying to like, you know, navigate his way into this realm, right? You know, you got to talk to the troll. You got to tell him, you know, your deepest, darkest truth or whatever. Uh, all of that is <laughs> just really, really creative writing. And I, I thought this one came together pretty nice. It did. I really liked that moment in the middle where he tells his deepest truth to the troll and uh, the troll, you know, whispers back to him that, you know, that was very brave or something like there's yeah. just a really quirky little interchange there that I thought made this kind of special. And again, it just, it's more unexpected off the wall, kind of good neighbory stuff that is fun, but could be a little more challenging to the mainstream viewership of SNL. Mm-hmm. than maybe the show's looking for. And I think that's maybe why these don't always cut through, but for what it's worth, I thought it was pretty good. I would have kept it through that. Cool. Moving on from the James Franco episode. We get a pre-tape Hallmark channel Christmas promo from the people who bring you one sentence greeting cards comes 21 full length, original Christmas movies, cut it or keep it. Yeah. This probably belonged on the cutting room floor. Okay. It's not the most difficult joke to come up with for sure. concept. I mean, everybody makes fun of Hallmark Channel, the dumb movies they make. As much as I enjoyed, you know, some of the callbacks to the earlier jokes and how it all kind of tied together. Sure. With like the twist being that the trailer for this one is a sequel to this previous trailer we saw. There were some fun little moments like that. Right. Yeah. They get James Franco back, uh, Canadian Handsome back for you know, two or three movies all set in the gazebo or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I like this a little bit more than you. It wasn't super duper clever. 
anytime we get one of these mock commercials with Cecily doing the voiceover, you kind of know what you're in for. It really is a bunch of one-offs in rapid succession, just mocking the cliches of whatever it is. So I do understand why it got cut. It wasn't remarkable, but I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought that the cliches that they did play up were all pretty strong. Uh, the goofy premises where there's a little bit of magic sprinkled into a pretty lighthearted romantic melodrama. Uh, it was working for me. I thought it was cute. I would have liked to see it in the show, maybe because the James Franco show was pretty uneven. So I think there was a couple other things in the show that probably could have been sacrificed and this maybe would have helped a little bit, but Hey, whatever it was middle of the road. So I'm not like losing sleep over the fact that it didn't make it in. Yep. Because we do have a chance to see it in some form in some capacity. So it's almost like it was not cut after all. Yes and no. It is nice that these can get a second life on the internet, but there are a few that we're going to get into later that we've actually already touched on in previous cast where I really feel passionately that they should have made it into the show. And yeah. and I, I am a little bit miffed that some potential breakout moments never saw the light of day. So yes, for these middle of the road ones, it's nice that because it's there, it's done. They're not going to be able to repurpose it. They might as well put it out and get something for it. You know, give the audience the ability to tune in if they want to hunt it down on YouTube. It is nice that we live in a time where we can do that. But still, when it's really solid material, I want it to make the show. This one, yeah, take it or leave it. I'm okay that it didn't make it. I would have been fine if I'd seen it. So I'm really, really ambivalent on this one. But yeah, we're going to get into a few that I'm a little more passionate about. So why don't we actually move on to some of them now? Sure. Next up from the Natalie Portman episode, My Little Stepchildren. The perfect doll for kids with a flair for the dramatic. This is maybe the most Julio of all the Julio Torres joints from season 43. Uh, what do you think? Cut it or keep it? Uh, yeah, we should have kept it. Yeah, agreed. We should have kept it. It was uh, maybe a bit too dark. <laughs> you know, this might be a cut for nightmares type of uh, <laughs> sure. thing instead of cut for time. Yeah, it was just so good. It, it hit so many recognizable tropes of the evil stepmother type <laughs> yes. they were so brilliantly played by these child actors the, sure. the coldness of it all and <laughs> you know it was almost too good yeah it was unsettling and uh it just replaces what usually a doll is supposed to be for someone with the complete opposite <laughs> thing it's not something you love and cherish it's something you <laughs> revile yeah you you <laughs> resent their existence yeah. and uh, tolerate them for the sake of whatever it is she's marrying the guy for exactly yeah so i thought it was great yeah I thought it was absolutely brilliant yeah you, and you you hit the nail on the head there the idea of flipping what a doll is supposed to be for into something very macabre and very frightening and evil <laughs> um it's brilliant when julio touches on one of these bizarre dark concepts and is able to do this with it uh i feel that it's absolutely brilliant this is why the show hired him and we continue to get these fun little unexpected gems <laughs> from him and uh, doesn't show any signs of abating. He really seems to be a, a deep creative well for finding these, <laughs> these fun ideas. I love it. I think this is one of the best. And <laughs> I think when you look at the Natalie Portman episode, there was a lot of stuff there that could have gone for the sake of letting this one in a deep creative. Well, yes, for boys. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, the Natalie Portman episode did have a lot of pre-tapes, 
So maybe it just came down to timing. Maybe it came down to wanting to retain some of the live material that they work so hard to produce. I'm not sure, but I could have stood to see the first ladies thing go, you know, that didn't really play very well. This could have been slotted in there real nice. And I think that would have made the Natalie Portman episode a lot stronger and given people something more memorable to talk about than maybe like Natalie rap too. So yeah, yeah, this is a tragedy. This is one that I really wish had a got to air. Unfortunately, it's uh, just one of those things. But you know what? Julio does pretty well. He has been able to get a lot of stuff produced that has made it through. And uh, that's why we sing his praises because we have seen so much of him in the two seasons that he's been there now. Uh, Hope he's back next season. I hope that we get to enjoy a few more of these outings from him before he launches and does something more spectacular with his career. Oh yeah. I've loved him since South Dakota. Yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. That really was the first time when I was scratching my head saying, what is this <laughs> on SNL? Like, yeah, that was definitely a new thing for the show. It felt so different from the type of comedy that we typically get. And then, yeah, once we started putting the pieces together and realizing that there was such a creative voice in the writer's room and we started getting so many more little bizarre, quirky outings from him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Really, really nice to see Julio continue to impress. Yes. There's going to be big things coming in his future. Yes. Moving on. Charles Barkley episode. We get Star Warriors. J.J. Abrams gives a sneak peek of summer 2019 Star Wars standalone film, The Moss Eisley 5. Cut it or keep it. Uh, I was laughing. Okay. Maybe this is a keep it. It was a pretty simple concept that was explored. Mm -hmm. Something that a lot of people have talked about who are fans of the Star Wars universe. You know how <laughs> yeah. so many seemingly unremarkable people can just literally speak every single language or at least understand it. You know, that's a big pill to swallow in yeah. terms of believability. Right. So to have one character, that's just how it would be <laughs> if there was a, a, you know, a galaxy of planets and systems and creatures and species, Yeah. you know, that's just what they're making fun of here. It's definitely a smart observation. And as a, bonafide star Wars nerd myself, everything that they were throwing down as far as the visual cues on all the characters and just the production style of it all, all of it was very familiar and a lot of fun to see, but you know what? I'm going to say, cut it. Okay. I think it was a fun observation, much like the Lando sketch from the Donald Glover episode. It was a fun observation that never really escalated beyond that original conceit. Yeah. So even though that was amusing and it wasn't like a a terribly disappointing outing, I just felt at the end of it very meh. I felt like, yeah, yeah, that's clever. You know, we've all goofed on that kind of notion, but did they make anything exceptionally funny out of that notion? No, they just had a lot of visual flair and a lot of production value to try and give people little visual sight gags if they're in on star Wars. And I don't think that was quite enough to carry the sketch. Sure. Let's keep moving. St. Patrick's Day from the Bill Hader episode. Liam Neeson and his imbecile sidekick discuss some exceedingly creepy Irish traditions. Cut it or keep it. Maybe this was better off cut. (laughs) Okay. You could argue that this is a recurring character, even though it's played by a different host every time. Right. Edward Norton's done it. Kristen Wiig did it, but that was cut as well, I believe. Mm -hmm. But she did have a crack on it. And Michael Keaton did it. Michael Keaton did it. Yes. And there's probably a couple of other examples. It's pretty unique for SNL to have that kind of rotating stable of who plays this character. Sure. But the one thing that was consistent with all of it was that Bobby Moynihan was part of it. 
Yeah, he was always the imbecile. Yeah. He was the imbecile. So now we have yet another role taken up by Beck that was originally played by Bobby. Mm-hmm. It had some funny moments. Bill Hader certainly killed the creepy vibe he was going for. <laughs> sure. But I was happy with what I saw in the Bill Hader show. And I think I would prefer most of that, if not all, to seeing this on the actual show. Okay. Uh, I think that's fair. I like that SNL runs at these for each holiday. I think it is a fun setup that does have legs where they can repurpose it and just insert new jokes. It's definitely a paint by numbers kind of thing now that we've seen it so many times, but by switching up the host and by switching up the holiday that they're goofing on, you can get some more mileage out of it, but it's never going to be so exceptional that it wouldn't be a candidate for being cut because you can only go so far with the site gags and kind of the slow moving run of ongoing absurdity that, you know, it doesn't really escalate or do anything. It's just, here's my little visual gag moving on. Here's my little bizarre statement moving on. You know, it's just kind of like a slow moving train of a sketch that way. Yeah. So while that's fun, it's not amazing. So I, I totally get why these kind of have a 50, 50 hit rating for making it into the show. Um, I enjoyed it. It was a bit of a mess production wise. You know, you saw some stage hands, hands and a few other goofs, a lot of bumps. And it it was a bit of a mess that way. So literal stage hands. Yes. (laughs) So maybe they were just thinking that maybe it didn't play well enough in dress to be bothered moving forward with the live show. Right. But I would be willing to bet that what you touched on where the Bill Hader show was already pretty strong. They just didn't feel like they had to dig this deep. You know, they had so much good material for the Bill Hader show that he could carry and just kind of energize with his personality that why put him in a chair and tell him to be super deadpan when you've got so much more you can draw on from Bill Hader. I think that's probably what ultimately killed this one. No, that sounds totally right. Yep. Moving on from the John Mulaney episode, we get a live sketch wedding toast at Mark and Dana's wedding. Best man, Doug serenades the newlywed couple with a scandalous ballad. (laughs) <laughs> cut it or keep it this is a keep it yeah anybody who's uh tuned into the john mulaney podcast knows that we champion for this sketch heavily yeah yeah this was maybe some of the best material of the night we made a point to talk about it even though technically it was not part of the show we were talking about right in fact i believe you gave him mvp Yes. Yeah, absolutely. This was Luke Knoll's moment of the season and it didn't make it. And I'm still a little miffed. Uh, I still feel so bad for Luke. Right. But imagine if he did have it on here, that would have been a a wicked episode for him. He would have been loaded in Mm -hmm. in a lot of sketches. We would have seen the most Luke Knoll we've ever seen in one episode. It is too bad because it's not just the fact that we're trying to take pity on Luke Knoll and we want to throw him a bone. No, this was actually an amazing sketch. It was. It was a well-written, well-performed, well-timed sketch. I mean, everything about it was great. Yeah. From the cameos of the musical guests to, you know, just the deadpan of uh, John Mulaney's kind of <laughs> understated uh, protests to, yes. to what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It was just all brilliant and working well. Yeah, no, this one was in the rundown for the live show. This made it out of dress. It was supposed to be in the back half of the live show, and it just came down to a sketch ran long. It bumped up against a hard commercial break, and they just couldn't make it work. So they put in a shorter piece instead. It is the tragedy of season 43. You know, you you already talked about some of the, the reasons why this could have been a big game changer for Luke. 
but I will second everything you said just about how strong the sketch was end to end writing wise. The song was genuinely listenable and played in perfectly into the premise and was so perfectly executed by Cecily and Luke. Luke's performance in this was ridiculously on point. He starts off a little bashful and reserved when he's giving a speech, you know, a couple corny jokes with the parents. He's not really like comfortable in his own skin, but then the second he flips over into music mode, there's like this very deliberate change where he gets super confident and his body movement is all very much like in the zone. And he's kind of like undulating with the rhythm and getting very like sensual as he's presenting it. All that performance was there and it was so solid and that would have been a good performance from the best of the SNL cast. So to see it from a player that we just didn't know whether they could carry a sketch or do this well in a sketch, it it said everything that I wanted to hear about Luke Knoll. Like, okay, yeah, this guy can deliver. This guy can really hit a home run. Right. And hardly anyone's going to get to see it. So yeah, this (laughs) was the tragedy. Oh, well. I loved it end to end. I love that they had a perfect little out where they make John Mulaney take the picture yeah. <laughs> of everyone except him at his wedding. Uh, yeah, it was great. So great. Uh, yeah, I, I could just sit here and gush, but we got to move on. Just suffice to say, not only would I have kept it, I would have kept it at all costs. I would have bumped into the next show on NBC to make sure this one made it through. I would have cut the good nights. I would have done whatever it took to get this out to the world. And I would have just paid the price after. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, darn, (laughs) but you know what? We talk a little bit in our postseason recap cast about how we were a little wary that maybe Luke Null wasn't going to make it through just because we didn't have an opportunity to really get to know him or see much from him. And it was just a crowded season where he didn't cut through. You made the point that, you know, the show has probably seen a lot more of Luke than we ever saw. And for that reason, maybe he is a good quote employee of SNL. Like maybe they see that there's more potential that they could bring forward into season 44. And if there's anything that could make that case, it's the sketch. Yeah. So If we see Luke Nall back next season, this is the reason it's because this is the kind of stuff that he was delivering that the show knew he was capable of that. We just unfortunately didn't get to see enough of. And maybe season 44 will have a little bit more room for him to shine. Yeah. Here's hoping. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's keep moving. Another one from the John Mulaney episode. We get a pre-tape fish dreams. This is our good neighbor entry of the night An award-winning fish actor leave showbiz to focus on his photography. Cut it or keep it. Maybe cut it. Okay. Not that I didn't love it, but I noticed it's pretty much void of any jokes. There's no jokes. This is literally played completely dramatically. (laughs) The only thing that's funny and bizarre about it is that it's two random fish people. Right. It was the bizarrity of this universe that these types of creatures exist and they're pretty much every bit as normal as a, as a human being. Right. Yeah. I mean, other than that very last line, you suck. (laughs) Yeah. No, this is just played like a straight drama. And if they were normal human beings, this would have been a nice little, you know, Martin Scorsese short. Sure. Yeah. So I don't know. It was a, (laughs) this was a head scratcher. No, you're, you're kind of, you're painting a very clear picture of maybe why this didn't make it through. It's how do you peg it? What is the joke? Obviously the idea that these fish actors that you would have seen in what was it? The shape of water. Was that the name of the movie? 
Oh, is that a reference I'm not getting? Yeah, the there was an Oscar movie. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was called The Shape of Water, and it was yes. that guy that did Pan's Labyrinth. And yeah, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, it was one of his outings. So very ethereal and bizarre and weird. So there was a fish creature in that. So the idea is, oh, okay, well, he just cast a fish actor because that's a thing in this reality, right? See, I didn't see Shape of Water, so that was lost on me. Yeah, so that went over your head. But because fish actors are just regular people, regular actors who just happen to look like fish, and they're not ostracized from society, there's nothing (laughs) distinct about them that you can goof on. The only direction to go once you establish that these things exist is, like you said, you just play it straight and hope that the absurdity of just seeing these guys done up as fish, but nobody's acknowledging that that is a factor at all in their existence. Right. That is the clever underlying joke, but that comes and goes pretty quick. And then you've still got five minutes of sketch to hold up. That doesn't really go anywhere except play up some of the tropes of this kind of dramatic movie. So for that, it was pretty challenging. I enjoyed it, but not as SNL material. This was just a little thought provoking sort of bizarre standalone piece that maybe could find life somewhere else on the internet, but I don't think it, it was <laughs> the right fit for SNL. Yep. Fair enough. Yep. Let's keep moving from the Donald Glover episode. We get Cleveland Cavs promo. The other Cavaliers want to remind you that there's more to their team than just LeBron James. The sports stuff is always going to have more of a niche audience and won't have as much mass appeal as something else they could be doing. Yeah, this was a, a funny concept. I mean, I've heard a lot of these same jokes when um, when Michael Jordan was a player. Right. You know, if you were on the Bulls, you just pass the ball to Michael and get out of his way. <laughs> right. And that's kind of what they're harping on. It's like, yeah, they deserve some credit. I mean, you got to have five people on the basketball court to have a team. But did they play it up to hilarious effect? Like, was this something that you would have pushed to keep in the show if you were wearing your Lorne hat? No, I, I think there was some better stuff that they went for that was just a better use of Donald Glover, I think. Okay. But yeah, not to say I didn't have fun. Mm -hmm. I was laughing along. I really don't not laugh completely at something from, from the show. Sure. I might even have breathed air through my nose audibly when I watched (laughs) the Sasquatch sketch. So I'm I'm generous (laughs) like that. Fair enough. Uh, I'm in a similar boat. This was a take it or leave it thing. Like it was mildly amusing. I got the joke. Yes. They kind of got a little bit more absurd, like with a Roomba being on the team and you know, they, they did have some fun with it, but it wasn't so exceptionally hilarious that I feel like I would have championed it personally. So yeah, take it or leave it. Not really passionate one way or another. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Cool. Spirituality rap from the Amy Schumer episode. This is the return of Slavic rappers Stav D and MC Strategy, and they are back to solve the world's ills with their latest single. Yeah, they haven't really changed much <laughs> no. since we last saw them. Kind of more of the same, really. Yep. Still find it hilarious, like Amy Schumer's bit where she's just straight up telling him. <laughs> you got a problem. His problems. <laughs> yeah. And it's going in one ear and out the other. Like, yeah. I could not understand what the angel was telling me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never know why she left. <laughs> yes. That's a much better Stav D impression. I don't know what, what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. it, uh, even just that silly voice, mm-hmm. like, like that accent we're trying to pull off now. It's, it's always been wacky and and silly to me but uh i just love that simple concept of oblivious guy who should not be given a microphone until he figures out some (laughs) 
some problems he needs to. Sure. Uh, this was fun. The first of D didn't wow me. I thought it was a little lackluster. The one from the Chris Pine episode. So to see him back and have the second outing really be a, a beat for beat retread of the first one. I don't think it was really any better or worse. There was a couple fun things. Like you said, Amy Schumer's angel character and his little back and forth with her, where he even like attempts to maybe ramp up in her presence. Um, <laughs> whatever this turned out to be, it wasn't any more remarkable than what we saw from Stavdi earlier. So I don't think that it needed to be in the show and looking at the Amy Schumer show, it was very, very strong already. So I can totally see why this was kind of the odd man out on that one. Yeah, no, yep. for sure. Doesn't super fit with the Mother's Day theme that they really went heavy on with that oh, show yeah. either. So yeah, this this would have felt like a duck out of water if they'd thrown it in. So I'm glad it was cut. Glad we saw it online because I was amused by it. But these Stavdi outings are, are never like really memorable to me. So whatever, take it or leave it. True. And that brings us to our very last cut for time sketch for season 43 from the Tina Fey episode, Friendship Song. A Hyam-esque band of friends are quick to have each other's back no matter what. We get a special appearance from Nicki Minaj. So, cut it or keep it. I'd say we we could cut this one Mm -hmm. and not miss much. But I had fun. And, uh, you know, I kind of do like Hyam's music. At least a few of their songs. So, it wasn't tough to listen to. It was was enjoyable. Okay. I'm going to give this a marginal keep. I thought that it was a pretty funny observation about how it's expected that you're going to be like super catty for your friends, even if they're in the wrong. Like it really doesn't matter if it's a trivial matter or cooler heads should prevail. If your friend feels slighted, you are automatically on their side, no matter what. It's not a rational thing. It's just very much, you're my friend, therefore the other person must die. Yeah. So for them to take that and have some fun with it, I thought that was a great starting point for it. I liked the music video just stylistically, how they approached it. Always when they kind of jump in and out of the music video, like they have little aside conversations and then jump back into another verse that then builds on the ideas that they established in the side conversation. Structurally, I like that editing and that writing. So I found this engaging, but not super funny. Just as an enjoyable observational piece, I thought it was pretty good. And you know what? On the Tina Fey episode, I enjoyed it. I was there. I can't, uh, I, I still can't really look at it objectively, but I feel like I would have rather seen this in the show than a couple of the pieces that did make it through. So I would have put this one in if it was up to me. Fair enough. Cool. That is all of the available officially released cut for time sketches from season 43. Yeah, we did it. We did it. Now, there's only one big question that needs to be answered. Which cut for time sketch was the best of the rest? The best of the rest for me is definitely that uh, that wedding sketch. Okay. With uh, John Mulaney, Luke Null, and uh, why can't I remember Jack White's name? There it is. <laughs> I knew that would work. Yeah, Jack White. Uh, yeah, Luke had something big here. It would have made a big splash. I mean, it did to anyone who really pays attention to these things. Uh, I think a lot of people would agree with us that this was definitely a truly cut for time. Yes. <laughs> uh, a lot of these have been cut for being too weird or too dark or just not the right episode for it. Right. Yeah. This was definitely something that should have been on the show. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yep. I am right there with you. This is definitely the best of the rest. I think an honorable mention has to go to Julio Torres. 
uh, my little stepchildren pre-tape, but for all the reasons that you mentioned and for everything that we've already dissected, this was a great sketch. It was flawlessly executed. It was so perfect a vehicle to launch Luke and it didn't make it through. And there's so much tragedy in that, that I feel like, yes, this is the one that you have to point to and say, this was the big miss. This was the one that they should have figured out how to get on air. And uh, yeah, just genuinely the best sketch too, structurally writing wise, everything about it. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yep. At this point, I'm just glad I saw it. Yeah. And that is the the great thing about being able to discover these after the fact is that they can have a second life and occasionally one does go viral or get some media attention. This one didn't really make a big splash online. Like, I don't think this turned the tide for Luke Null or got like a whole bunch of people on board. Right. So we didn't get anything big that way for Luke Null, but I'm glad that I saw it. It really does paint a clear picture of his value. And I so hope that the show gives them one more season oh, to try please. and get some of this kind of material on the air. If they do, then good on SNL. That's a smart production move. I think that really says that you want to invest in your uh, next era of players. And you recognize that with a cast as big as they have right now, it isn't always a deficiency on the players part that kind of pushes them out of the limelight. So yeah. Hope he's back. Me too, man. Yep. All right. As a quick show note before we sign off, we will be back hopefully to do a couple vintage rewatch episodes before we come back to talk season 44 in the fall. Don't have any firm timeframes on that, but we should be able to get a couple of the guests that we weren't able to tack down during the season proper to come back and do their favorite episodes. So that's kind of what we're hoping to roll out throughout August and September. And then as soon as we get some substantial news on how season 44 is shaping up, we're going to pop in and talk about that too. I'm liking the sound of that. Okay. And with that said, that's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Jonathan Jordan, and Aaron and Trader. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back soon with a review of one of SNL's seminal vintage episodes. And until then, this has been episode number 51 of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Anyway, I'm, I'm not great at speeches, as you can all hear, but I'd like to sing a song instead. Oh, man, is this one of your joke songs? <laughs> no. At the dark end of the street That's where we will always meet Such a good voice Hiding in shadows where we don't belong What song is this? Living in darkness to hide our wrongs You and me You mean her and me At the dark end of the Buddy, what's up with this song? I know time is gonna take its toll. Where'd you get a mic? We have to pay for the love we stole. Who is we? It's a sin, and we know it's wrong, yeah. Who is we? Oh, but love keeps coming on strong. 
steal away. You're turning me on so much right now. The lighting guy isn't on this. Go not find us. No, he won't. Mark's gonna find us. He has no idea. Mark's gonna catch all three of us today. Three? You, you me, me, and Jack. Who is Jack? At the dark end of the street.